G'day punters, welcome to the preview show. We're looking at the Tats Tiara Shane Curlio, the group one, the final group one of the season. This is very exciting. I'm sure you're riveted and just can't wait to get this race out of the way. Uh, I'm more looking forward to the Battle of the Bush there on Saturday because that just looks like far more fun. But we're going to preview the, the Tats. What's the rest of the meeting look like? Um, well, the good thing, well, Tell you what the rest of the meeting looks like. Because a lot of bush trainers are bringing a horse to the Battle of the Bush final, a few of them decided to lie the float and bring a couple of other runners as well, which creates a, a long tail in a few races, uh, a couple of speed humps. But we also get to see uh, incentivized uh, go around again, the boom staying horse in Queensland that's captured a bit of narrative and also um, prompted a few questions from the viewers that we'll cover a bit later on. But, um, yeah, look... Um, just really happy to get to this point of the carnival winning for a start and uh, and happy to see the end of it. But um, anyway, one of these, four of these horses are going to get black top. I think they go to fourth now in the book, don't they? <laughs> like ran oh, fourth in a listed on the present pedigree page. <laughs> First four home, we'll get an upgrade on the pedigree anyway here in the Tats Tiara. Um, now, I'm just going to start with having a look at the speed map here and... and um, Tell me that you've got that screen. Yeah, we do. Yeah, so this is I've highlighted uh, Odium here from the gate. Uh, I think that I think those those three horses in the four horses that map in front of it here: Dame Gazelle, Sabatiano, Mizzy, Reelamin, Ruby. I think com I can confidently be confident. I can confidently be confident that they're going to settle forward. <laughs> and I think the race is going to be decided here. J-Mac versus C. Williams. So I think if J-Mac can cross Craig early, there's a spot there for it. Um, you know, potentially consider, can, be, can be fifth one off the fence, fourth or fifth one off the fence here. Um, potentially. I think there's a spot for it. If he, gets, if he can cross tough to Farnay early. But, you know, I sort of expect um, Williams to... to you know, almost try and replicate the ride that he did last start. Like, he was niggling at Tafane to sort of get it into a spot, and he just got it into the absolute gun spot. There was a little bit of carnage around it, but he just got into a gun spot and had clear air from the top of the straight. Um, and it was, you know, that, that's what won at the race. There was plenty of hard luck stories around it. Odium, on the other hand, um, comes through the Dane Ripper, um, and it was four deep, no cover. 40-odd days between runs from memory. There was a gap between runs anyway, 40-odd, I think it was, with that little Gold Coast trial in between time. So four wide the trip, yes, admittedly was in the right part of the track. Um, but, um, you know, Willow got Brooklyn Hustle to the fast lane late um, and got over the top of it. I think there's improvement in Odium off that. Sort of anticipate it doesn't have to improve much, but there's something there. And I think if he can just find that spot there, as I said, and get across to Fane, yeah, Jay Mack's going to find himself in a, in a lovely spot here. He's going to get cover. Um, and if he does, um, I think he's going to be able to dash a little bit further ahead of what he was able to when uh, he got run down last time. And I think that's going to be the difference between winning and losing. Um, as far as how I've got them priced, so I've priced them on Odium getting in front of Tafane in run here. See how I've priced this. I've got Tafane starting, uh, Odium starting favourite. I've marked it favourite. Now, this is a. Obviously, the, the emergencies are still in here, but I haven't put them in my market. 
I've got um, ODM about 450. Brooklyn Hustle 928. I was a little bit negative on Brooklyn Hustle with the jockey switch there from Willow to Mick Carl. Now, possibly a bit harsh because there's only one way to ride this horse anyway, isn't there? Sit back, find something to drag him into the race, pull to the outside and rip home. So you'd anticipate that Carl will be able to do that. But Willow, you know, Willow to Carl's a negative regardless. And then you've got, um, I've got Tefane around that 740, but um, yeah, obviously there's, the scratchings will come out and I'll make a bit of an adjustment there if I need to. But based on that map, looking like that, um, you see how I've arrived at those, at that. Now, there's a couple of other little points um, of form reference here that I want to just discuss with you guys and get your opinions as well. Um, Oh, technically. Am I back? Yep. Yeah, you're back. back. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of little things. It's just those uh, those two races, you know, trying to line up Stradbroke and Tefane's win um, and compared to the Dane Ripper. They're the two sort of races. you got um, Brooklyn Hustle winning the Dane Ripper down the outside um, off a sort of slowish tempo, was able to track into the race and, and run a ridiculous last 600 uninterrupted. Just with Tefane, um, you know, done, had the perf- I thought it had the perfect run, uninterrupted run. Horses like Signore Fox, like Pull and Ground, though, back to the inside on the inferior part of the track was a bit of a, had, you know, sort of made me question the, the, the form around that a little bit. I'm obviously Vega 1 settling a lot closer. Only just Tefane and just getting over it late after it settled a lot closer and got galloped on and, you know, chased that hot speed. And Mr. Quickie's a Group 1 winner, so you'd expect him to make ground on them as well, but it was back to the inside also. And, um, you know, then you had horses that came down the outside of the track like Subpoenaed who were completely flattered and um, couldn't get there, you know, like as far as, you know, had the right lane and couldn't get there. Um and, you know, when you look at the Odium race, you had Odium 4D on speed, you know, exposed early, taking the front. Then you had horses like Madame Rouge and then who made ground on it but couldn't get past it. And Madame Rouge had a much better run. And then Brooklyn Hustle, obviously, as we discussed earlier, got right to the outside on the fresh cut grass. Oh, no, I'm not sure there's fresh cut, but definitely different coloured grass. Anyway, you know, like at the footy ovals, how you have the turf and you got that um, fake grass on the outside fence. Yeah. Which is a lot firmer. I'm pretty sure that's what's happened on with Brooklyn Hustle. As long as they haven't painted it. Well, um, anyway, I don't know. Look, you can make cases for plenty of others. Um, but I'm just going with best jocks on Saturday and, and ones that I think can get the right runs. And, you know, I've backed Sabatiano. Uh, sorry, I've backed Odium, taking $6.50. Um, it's, I think it starts close to favourite, if not favourite, around that 4.50 mark, I think it'll be very hard to beat. And if it does have to sit three deep and still have a bit of cover, I'm not going to worry because I think the leaders will be sitting well off the fence by the time the last race comes around at Eagle Farm. This race comes around at Eagle Farm on Saturday. Okay. Uh, Who do you have leading in the end? I'm sorry, I didn't quite look at who you had leading on the map there. (sighs) Mizzy, likely forward, Dane Gazelle. The other horse likely for him, reel him in Ruby from the inside gate will be forward and Sabatiano going forward as well. Isn't Mizzy an interesting conveyance here? It's had the 
stable change. It has, what, 54 days since last run, no public trial. It was supported in Adelaide and ran completely awful. Yeah, <laughs> I think I might have tipped it in Adelaide too when we previewed that race, didn't we, or something. Until, until one M. Roden shot me down in flames because it was an AJ Cummings R. Bayless combo or something. Yes. Mark, segue yes. for you there. Who's got it now? Annabelle Neesham. Ah, I'm calling that an upgrade. <laughs> I'm calling that a big upgrade. With Tommy Berry on board. I'm calling that an upgrade too. I'll say this about Tefani. Last time she went to that sort of level was when she won the All-Aged last year and she was immediately tipped out after that. So the question's got to be, are they going to the well once too often this time in? And considering she was she was 75% going through the ring at the broodmare sales a month ago, she was. She was. obviously she's done well and pleased them to keep her in work. But um, as yes, she favourite, like... uh, I'd be a bit concerned about about her backing that pickup. Yeah, this is not like, not as if it's set for her or anything, you know. This is like she's going to be sold. She won a group one. Oh, well, they're pretty weak in Queensland. We're sending her around again, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, uh, yeah, I mean, like obviously the, the figure, overall figure was, was pretty pleasing, but it's still probably three, three or four lengths off her consistent best when she was going around a couple of preps ago, so... Yeah, um, there's probably that small little concern there. Mind you, she probably doesn't have to have those extra three to four lengths here to no. be winning this this race here on Saturday. It's a Phillies and Mares race, so well placed at uh, set weights. But, yeah. Uh, range. Yeah. 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 Look, I think that uh, I think I, honestly, if, if Odium can get that, if J Mark can get that spot, I, I think it'll be hitting the front in the straight, and it's just a matter of whether the others can get it down. Um, did notice he had nudge, dirty, filthy nudges and overlay as well. So uh, it's obviously won both starts in Queensland so far. Yeah, it's just going so well, you know. Like it's just, it's just fighting the line like a real tiger fighting like Northerly used to. Yes. I don't know what's happened to her. But uh, pretty impressive splits actually. The last two starts, I'm not sure. They were better they were than that. Yeah. But at least we get to get on Odium and hit the front at the two hundred and. You know, we're really going to be cheering or just sick beat and talk about how sick it is that Brooklyn Hustle's knocking me up again. <laughs> okay, well, that's uh, a nice preview, a nice summation there for this Saturday's Group 1. But look, we've also got some pretty decent questions here as well to, to be running through. Um, look, the first of them was actually from, uh, from I believe it's RK, but I'm not sure if that stands for uh, our old mate. Long-time fan, first-time caller, Ruffy King. But he was wondering about the price of Odium, so I think you've pretty much uh, gone through that, Curls. Um, Mark Roden, this is probably one where you can jump in as well. This is from Jonathan. In media, we always hear about these syndicates, but I've never actually heard anyone explain who they are or how they operate. Also keen to understand how much they contribute to the overall wagering pool when they know. Is that referring to these syndicates? Keen to hear any insights. That's a good question, isn't it? Um, the most high-profile of the syndicates is the David Walsh and Jelko Ronagayich. I think that's how it's pronounced. Syndicate that's been in operation since, well, the 90s, so for a hell of a long time. Um, bet on the totes, mostly, as far as I know, but they, they bet on everything worldwide. You know, they, they turn over vast sums of money and, and uh, make a fortune as well. They... They ran into trouble with the tax office and owed them something in the region of hundreds of millions of dollars, and that's just in tax, so you can imagine the profits they've been making over the years. Um, the, there are other syndicates that bet on the tote as well. Um, 
As to the proportion of the overall wagering pool, I I couldn't answer that, and I don't know. I, I think the proportion would have been larger in days gone by. I mean, obviously they're restricted to uh, in what they can get on fixed odds, and sometimes avoid fixed odds. And they're on Betfair, but they're limited by the size of the you know what you can get on Betfair as well. I think in the old days they probably were a bigger part. The recreational, I mean the the corporates who dominate the landscape now love playing um, rich mugs, basically, recreational punters who bet big. So um, that's money that doesn't move the market, but might be actually a bigger proportion of the market than it used to be. Um, when we talk about they, I think it is the syndicates these days. When I started in full time in the bookmaking industry in 1999, what moved the market was stable mail a lot of the time. You know, punters tied up with trainers or jockeys or whatever, um, having a little information stream that the rest of the market didn't have. And, they, you know, when they got a reputation for being successful at using that information, their money was respected and they moved the prices. Um, but now, look, the Jelco and Walsh syndicate still existed, but they were betting on the tote. So they, there was a bit of a disconnect between the fixed market and the tote in those days, in some cases. You'd often see a winner, you know, it was like a dollar or two shorter than what the SP was, and you'd say, you'd think to yourself, well, that's them. Yep. Um, but um, I think the syndicates, these syndicates are the main driver of market moves. I mean, I'm sure that sort of stable mail still exists, but if it doesn't tick boxes with the syndicates as well, that money will get spied up and um, the price will get pushed back out. I, I, I know that the syndicates incorporate the public market to a quite large extent in their uh, stuff as well, so they, they are paying some heed to those sort of market moves, I expect, but if, if their data and their models are against it, they'll but they're quite happy to sack it and go against it as well. Yeah. So it is, I mean, I don't have first-hand knowledge of this. I, I saw a lot, uh, I saw people who bet for some big syndicates in my time in the corporate bookmaking world. Um, I've never first-hand worked for one or with one or anything like that. So a lot of this is just from observation. But they, in terms of what moves the prices, they are the, clearly the dominant factor in the landscape. Yeah, very interesting. Curls, I guess, uh, obviously in Queensland and probably WA more specifically, where there's less cash in the in the wagering pool, you're probably still going to get those moves from the stable and so forth. But um, yeah. yeah, look, there's um, I, you know I, I enjoy a raw as much as anyone, or try, certainly trying to get hold of one or trying to get involved in one somewhere along the line. Um, there are certain stables that. Uh, uh, backing horses and they're getting completely turned off. There's no doubt about that. Um, there's even stables at the moment I've been following um, that just like taking any price on Betfair as well, um, regardless of SP, because they've completely filled their limits on the corporates and they're taking any price the fair late. So, yeah, it's, um, it's just about pattern recognition, I think, um, and I agree. And probably uh, there's a couple of corporates that I follow um that, and they follow Betfair by the looks of it. But if you if you like one that the big that the biggest syndicates don't, which Mark touched on, you can fill your boots because they'll be against it, and and the books will be against it as well. Yeah, if you've got a, if you know why they're going to be against it, like if it's a bad nap or something, and you're happy to take the punt, you yeah. you're more than likely going to get a big price, uh, a bigger you price, get a big price late. Yeah. Late. I would say to Jonathan too, if you want to learn a little bit more, I mean, you're not going to get the, the full uh, 
bit, but uh, David Walsh's autobiography um, is an interesting read in itself, but there's little bits and pieces about how the um, operation works, um, how it started, and a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. He talks about one of their models, their data guys getting a handle on the overseas horses in the Melbourne Cup one year, and, and Walsh actually told him not to waste his time because it's only one race a year, I'd rather you work on something you use every day. The bloke went ahead and did it anyway. That was the year Pop Rock and Delta Blues quinelled it, the two Japanese horses. He thought they would have done their ass on the race and then they'd won a couple of million because this bloke did his own work off his own back. <laughs> I hope he got a bonus too. Yeah, wonderful. It's outstanding. Yes. You got a lifetime membership to the museum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very good. Uh, this question's from Pratty. Uh, cheers for the content. It's a fucking pleasure and definitely made me a better punter. Old mate Sot put me onto you guys and if we could have a guest pro from him every now and then, I'm sure he'll add a shrine of you. Of you all somewhere in that penthouse, so the penthouse is uh, no longer with us. Um, but question for the show, with incentivise running in the Tats Cup, how, uh, do we know how close that will put its rating to be being able to get an entry into the big races for this spring? Thank you for the question, because um, I was a little bit um, narky, I suppose, might be the technical term for it, you know, because I'm just... <laughs> I'm just like like a little contrary, and it's like when someone wants to hype a horse, I want to lay it. Right? Just nature. Okay. And I was a little bit flipping about incentivizing how far I can go. Got the viewer question, um, and maybe do a little bit of homework. And now I'm starting to like hmm, a little bit here. So here we go. Bear with me. I'll try and I'll try and explain this the best way that I can. Um, I even prepared some windows with my information here. So I went back and had a look at last year's Caulfield Cup, for example. All right, so very elegant, beat Anthony, rest in peace, Van Dyke, um, the chosen one. So I went and had a look down at the weights. A horse like Chapada was number 18 uh, in order of entry, but then realised that Chapada did win a... Um, Golden ticket race to Herbert Power, the start before. So I went back and had a look, and he was about a 98 rater in that race, Chapada was, um, to get into that, to firstly get a start in the Herbert Power, I suppose, and then um, he was a 96 rater, sorry. Now, so I'm thinking that if Incentivise is going to get in, so, so you know, I had a look, you're like 108, 105, 110, sort of Raheem House was an import that was a 110 rater. It just scraped into the field. Um, Chapada was 108 radar, but it would help had already qualified. So I suppose it'll be about how many imports can come, whether these new testing regimes is going to put a dent in the amount of imports that can come, et cetera, et cetera, right? So all that into consideration. I went back and, and then had, sort of had a look of how the handicapper treated incentivize for his couple of wins. Um, so he went a bench... First of all, I'll start with saying he got beaten in an 1,850-metre maiden at Toowoomba when we backed it. Um, <laughs> One more for the road. Uh, that's, not, that's not a line in the form guide. You're going to see how many Caulfield Cup winners. No, no, Sorry, look, no. Look, he, got, he, he, he attracted 10 points, 10 handicap points for his uh, win at Eagle Farm. And then last start when he won at Ipswich... Um, he picked up another six, and that was winning a 78 Saturday. So he's now an 82 rater, right? So I think he just wins on Saturday. 
And this is like, if this is a plan, this is like as astute as it gets because he's possibly, I would say, more than likely going to be a 90 plus Raider winning a group three. He's going to pick up 10 points. You go from winning, you go from winning a 78 restricted provincial stayers race to winning a group three, which is like, I'm not going to get into why this shouldn't be a group three race apart from the fucking obvious. Um, so he's going to be like a 92, 93 Raider. Yeah. yeah. He's going to go down there right on the brink of, right on the edge of, had a look at a couple of, uh, so I went and had a look at a couple of other Moody horses and look at a couple of Moody's horses and then stumbled across one called In Good Health, which Moody's got off John Ramsey, um, who was bashing around as a 69 Raider. Um, in three-year-old staying races before Moody's got hold of it, and then just like picked his way, picked his way through the grades, heavily handicapped, naturalism, you know, took it from a a 66 Raider, um, you know, into a running fourth into a naturalism stakes at Group Three, the 98 Raider. Um, so that's the that's the path to be so running exactly the same races. Now, you can draw, or you can sort of tie them a little bit together. I don't know that. Um, necessarily that uh, In Good Health was at her best when she was here the last couple of weeks. Like, she did run... Uh, she did win at Morfordville and then come up here and ran in the Sapphire and the Ipswich Cup, same day that Incentivise won. Now, Incentivise would have put 10 on her, no question, on the day. I'm not sure whether that's a fair thing, but, look, I've gone from just being a narc because I'm a narc by nature, a contrarian, a little, to doing a little bit of... Um, research and thinking like this horse is going to have the rating for moods to be able to aim right up at those races and at least running the races that can get it into the Caulfield Cup at the very least an abrupt U-turn is what this is it was I don't, I don't think I've changed my mind on the horse but I think I'll just become a little bit more enlightened of the scenario is, is it a bet now in the Caulfield Cup is that... no well, no such thing <laughs> Uh, well, how's the unknown? The unknowns are the reason why. Like, what's the go with the? What is stopping these horses coming over? The nuclear tests on their bone structure or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, look, I know blokes that have got tickets at hundreds, and like, I wouldn't be laying them. No. Yeah, that's. If you're on at hundreds, you, yeah. you're in front right now. Yeah, for, sure. for sure. So, I hope that answers the question. But I think it's. Yeah. Well, it it, it enlightened me because. It's rating look to nowhere near it, but you, you've mapped out the path for it. It will be the heavily and or the naturalism. And the goal's got to be to win the Herbert Power and then back up into the cup. There's no other way for it to get in that I can see. Very well done by you, Curls. Uh, that's very well uh, researched and well expressed. Hope that answers the question. It really should there from, uh, from Pratty. Uh, we've got one more question from Scott. I really enjoy the work of the mailbag team, especially girls. He's a very funny bastard. I think this is a noob question, but what does it mean when you hear people refer to the bookies betting pool being at, say, 130%? What does that percentage actually mean and signify? Uh, it seems like whenever people refer to it, and it's just understood, but I've never heard it explained or really understood what it actually means. Mark Roden, this is yours. Okay. Uh, well, when we talk about percentage, a market percentage, or overround, as they call it in the UK, um, that is basically, whatever the figure over 100% is, is the margin theoretically in the bookmaker's favour that you as the punter have to overcome. So uh, the way you calculate percentage is you take the, 
the odds in decimal terms. So like $2, even money, and 100 divided by that figure. So 100 divided by 2 is 50. The uh, $2 in percentage terms is 50%. And we, we're basically talking about its, its perceived probability of winning the race. Now, the, the total of the aggregate of all the probabilities of each horse in the race winning is 100 because one's got to win. So it's 100. But for the bookie or the tote to make money, they have to bet to greater than 100% probability. That's where their margin comes from. So you can, I mean, if you've got dynamic odds, it adds it up for you. But if you want to do it yourself, you just go 100 divided by the price, add them all up. And that is the margin you have to overcome. Whatever over 100 that is. Like 130 is an extreme example. Hopefully an extreme example. That, that's, um, that's very hard to overcome. But you'll see um, even the official SP on Metro Tracks is down to about 115.16 by jump time. And, of course, on Betfair, it's always 100 or 100 point, 100 and change, uh, less whatever permission you have to pay in that market. So, um, look, obviously, Betfair is, in percentage terms, the market that gives the punter the fairest chance. Against that, of course, is you are playing against the, uh, the Sharks. And they will, uh, they will do their best to give you uh, bad prices about winners and very, very attractive prices about losers. So... Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's the best percentage, it's also it. the hardest to beat. <laughs> yeah. Great way of putting it. Um, but yeah, so I hope that makes sense. But yeah, So basically, think of the total probabilities of a, one of the horses winning the race is 100. Um, I've told you how to calculate what the odds are telling you the probability is, and whatever uh, the difference between 100 and the market percentage you come up with, that's the bookmaker's theoretical margin. Yep, indeed. And obviously, the further away from jump time, the higher that percentage is going to be. As they get closer yes. to the jump, that percentage slowly comes down, which is why quite often, if you're not sure about a price, you know, you're, you're more than likely, yep. probability-wise, you're probably going to get a better price late as opposed to early, unless you're really uh, good with your pricing. That's right. If you if, if you're confident in your pricing ability and you see a big overlay in the early market, don't worry. I mean, just forget about the overall market percentage. That like, if you've got one three dollars and six dollars, mm-hmm. you're happy with it. You, you just have to bet. It doesn't matter if they're betting 150. Yeah. We we um, should. Um, we should revisit the SP of um, of uh, Odium next on Monday. In light of that, nothing like recency bias to convince yourself. Yes. Well, I would say one of the factors, the factor that jumps out to me that would would or should affect it, its SP is the jockey. I mean, the absolutely airborne Jay McDonald. Surely they're going to tune into that. Didn't even do any form, mate. Just saying, Jay Mac, and just. Oh, why would you waste your time doing that? <laughs> just back <laughs> Especially in Sydney at the moment. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for joining. We'll just do a little bit of housework before we finish up. Uh, if you purchase Punning Form sectional pro form data, uh, purchase a month subscription through Punning Form, get in contact with Dicko, uh, jack at themailbag.com.au, and he will give you a private one-on-one tutorial to get yourself started. So 30 to 45 minutes or so, depending on... Uh, how he's able to, to get himself away uh, from his form and, and then onto the computer, but uh, went through one of those last night, I believe. So that offer is still there on the table. For our VIP offers, you've got six days, so it expires at the end of June, uh, end of financial year. If you want to get involved for a long-term deal, contact sales at themailbag.com.au. Um, Curls, you've got a few little changes to happening with your service with the change to MBLs. Yeah, so we did a uh, we did do a winter carnival package, which is um, which does finish up, I think, this Saturday. Um, 
And coincidentally, um, Queensland have changed, have adjusted the minimum bet limit uh, rules. So from from July one, it's when the markets go up. The markets apply. So I've been um, <laughs> I've been uh, probably apart from the apart from the odd Saturday, ninety I would say ninety nine percent of my bets were nine o'clock race day when those limits kicked in. So now that the limits are changing to when the markets go up. Um, We'll be betting earlier and grubbier and wider and harder than ever before, which is exciting. So um, we're going to email. I'm sort of pe- still piecing together exactly how I want to do it to give everyone you know, the best opportunity to get on at the mark prices. So uh, just tell everyone out there to keep an eye out for, for an email. I'm sort of putting something together and I'll send it out to all existing and potential clients that, uh, that might think they want to get on board with these changes. Um, I think it'll make the product fatter. Uh, and increase the pot as, um, off the back of that as well. So looking forward to those changes, and I'll be sending something out in the next week to um, to kick off from July 1, All right. those changes. Sounds very good. Sounds exciting. Uh, Mark, we'll see you tomorrow with Mark Sheen for the preview from Rose Hill. Randwick. Randwick. <laughs> so it's, <wasn't> it? yeah. <laughs> it's written down. It's, it's not the right one. Anyway, uh and obviously we'll have Mountie Yard Mail through Rob Scurry who is low flying from Randwick uh, but not from Caulfield but not quite back on course in Victoria just yet um, guys enjoy the weekend go well we'll talk about some stuff on Monday see you later cheers mate